The gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew in the second chapter, verses 13 through 23. Now, after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled, because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up! Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. So as the Christmas story continues in Scripture, it's not like we get this amazing, joy-filled story. We get the story of fear. We get the story we get the story of hmm. The story of pain. We get to a point where what we realize is that Christ's coming into the world, this fulfillment of hope and love, of joy and peace, wasn't something that immediately occurred. What we get is the story of how much suffering there still was to occur in the world, we get the story of how much fear of what Christ coming into the world meant for many people. And it's a story that makes us question, is this something that really could have happened? And it's one of the struggles we have sometimes with biblical literature is to go, what did and didn't happen? Why does Matthew say this, but Luke doesn't? 
Why doesn't Mark give us anything about the birth of Jesus? Why, why does John just simply say, and then the Word became flesh? And part of it is understanding who's speaking in each Gospel. Matthew's Gospel is written for the Jewish people. I mean, remember that the Gospel writers aren't trying to sway people to become Christians. The Gospel writers are trying to sway the Jewish people to understand how their God is at work in their lives. They're working on the way, right? This was the first terminology for what we call Christianity, the way of Jesus Christ. And so Matthew, in writing to the Jewish people, especially in Judea, in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, is writing about stories that they are going to understand. And so, not only is he writing to help them understand how Scripture has been fulfilled, he's writing to help them understand the story of God and the story of God's people and also bringing in the real world to them. So, in biblical archaeology, one of the problems we have is there's no mention of this slaughter of the children. And it raises a question, well, did that really happen then? Well, there is this author, Josephus, who was a great historian of the Jewish people, and he writes about a lot of the world that went on around the time of Jesus Christ for the Jewish people. And he doesn't mention this. Well, let's put that into perspective a little bit. Bethlehem was not a major town. There weren't a lot of people living there. In fact, best estimates of understanding the population at the time is that when Herod said kill all the male children two years and younger, we're probably looking at about two dozen kids. It's a pretty nasty thing to think about, but the reality is, is it's something that Josephus probably found not as important to relay. Especially because when he's talking about Herod's life, the end of Herod's life was he knew that he had become at odds with the people. Even though he had had a grand political career, had done great things in building new cities for them, rebuilding the temple, doing a lot of good things, but there was a lot of interesting intrigue within his own family. A lot of brothers stabbing one another figuratively and literally, a lot of him killing his own sons because of their aspirations, him killing his cousin, his uncle. For all of his good things, there was a lot that made Herod an unliked person. And one of the things that he did do that Josephus reports about is in his waning days he asked his sister to collect as many Jewish leaders as possible to come to an event at a hippodrome he had near his winter home. 
his plan was to gather them and to kill them all. We're talking hundreds of people. That's what Josephus decided to write about. So it is more than likely that this planned execution of the children did occur. And so Matthew writes about it. But Matthew also writes about it because it's an important parallel in the life of the people of God. Remember that Israel, in their worship, still remembers the place that they were at before they were in the promised land. Before they were in the land of Egypt. And in the land of Egypt, as time had gone on, as the Israelites had grown larger and larger, as new people came to power, the power that had respected them turned to fear them. What happened in the same season when Moses was born? A decree went out that all of the male children of Israel were to be put to death. And Moses was hid away. That's prominent imagery for the Jewish people. Prominent imagery that Matthew is helping them to understand that even in the birth of Jesus, the same issue is being raised up. And so Herod, in his seek to maintain power, is afraid of this newborn king afraid of what the new king might mean to his own rule. How do, we, how do we struggle with that and handle that in this season when we're trying to hold on to hope and love and joy and peace? And so we see the Holy Family having to remove themselves from the place of horror to go somewhere that they are unfamiliar with, to go somewhere where they have to walk into the lands of the very people that had subjugated their ancestors. We see them going for respite from their home to a place that historically has not welcomed them. But again, it's a place where Jesus will be safe. It's also a place where God will then call the Savior of the nation up out of Egypt, just as God called God's own people up out of Egypt. So Matthew wants us to regain that story, to regain God's promises of new life and hope, of a new kingdom that is to be. But even in that, the kingdom comes at a cost. Several scholars have gone on to talk about, well, who was the first Christian martyr? Some say Stephen, right? 
Stephen is the first person to be stoned for proclaiming Christ after Christ's death and resurrection. Some would say Christ is the first Christian martyr. But if you look at this moment and say, the first martyr for Jesus, for the sake of salvation, is the first child, the first boys taken and killed just because Jesus was born. This is called the slaughter of the innocents because these are newborn children, barely toddlers, and the king is so afraid that any of them might be the one to supplant his power. How do we wrestle with that? How do we accept that that's the story that follows Jesus' birth? How do we step into that Scripture and step into that moment and walk with the mothers and fathers who had to watch this happen? How do we step with Mary and Joseph who were warned to run away. And yet, these other families weren't given that option. How do we wrestle and understand hope amid pain and suffering like that? How can we understand God's love when we see the world acting like this? How can we continue Mary's joy when we watch the other children suffer? How do we see the prospect of peace when that's how the world powers act to Christ's coming? It puts us in a moment of being strangers in a strange land. It puts us in the moment of reflecting on where we are and who we are in this moment, but asking ourselves, do I even understand the beginning of the significance of that moment? Can we take ourselves and remove ourselves from what we know and try to live into what we don't know. It's a challenge for us. Because we know the sacrifice of Jesus. The question is, are we ready and prepared to live into the sacrifice of Israel? who has made it all possible. That's our strangeness. That's the strange land. But there is still hope. There is still love. There is still joy. And there is glorious peace coming in Christ. Amen.